Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Given the fact that uh, many of us are encouraged to stay home, not go out shopping unless it's absolutely essential. Many of us have been turning our shopping online. And I was thinking about online shopping this week, and I sort of stumbled down a little bit of a hole. And the hole that I sort of stumbled down was all about the third largest online retailer in the United States. Not the first. We all know what the first is. Everybody knows Amazon's the king. And and number two, it's it's Walmart. That makes sense. They sell a lot of stuff online. But what's, by volume, the number three retailer online? If you're watching with your family, go ahead and give a guess. Shout it out to them. You know, do your thing. Because I'm pretty sure you're not going to get it. Because I was absolutely blown away when I found out the third largest retailer by volume this is according to Forbes, and for the 2018 year, cite your facts, was Wish.com. Wish.com, which Wish.com, if you don't know, is a site that sells all sorts of things, everything you could possibly imagine directly to you. They take a cut of the, the sale and they sell it to you, but what makes Wish.com unique is that Wish tracks your every movement online and then tailors all of their offerings to you. They will sell you illegally made baseball jerseys for very, very cheap, 10 bucks a jersey. I know this because they often try to sell me very, very cheap, illegally made baseball jerseys. They sell all sorts of things. They track your movement and they customize all of their offerings to you. And everything they sell is incredibly cheap. Here's the problem with Wish.com. Wish.com has an average customer satisfaction rating of 1.6 out of 5 stars. And yet people keep buying from them because it's just too tantalizing to see a box of a thousand lug nuts for $3 plus $9 shipping. I mean, I don't know what I'm gonna do with them, but one day I'm gonna need them. And so I might as well buy them now. And so we keep buying things off of it. But wish.com is proof positive that you absolutely get what you pay for. When you order from Wish, you cross your fingers and hope it works. Wish.com, hoping things work out. That's something I think that we've been thinking about a lot lately too. What is hope? What does it mean to hope? If I were to ask you that, how would you define hope? It's kind of a hard word to, to define. It's kind of hard to think about what is hope. For most of us, the answer that we would naturally give to that question, the way that we would naturally define hope, is 
Generally, optimism cast into the future. In general, what hope is, is it's optimism cast in the future. We do this sort of either in a big way or a small way. If I were to ask you what hope is, you might say something like, you know, hope is that everything is going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. You think about our present situation, and I, I saw some yard signs as I was driving yesterday. You know, yard signs that said, this too shall pass, and everything is going to be okay. Maybe you define hope that way, or maybe it's more specific. You know, when this is all over, I can't wait to sit down at my favorite coffee shop, at my favorite pub, at my favorite restaurant, and eat there. So it's still optimism cast into the future. But the hard part about having hope that is just optimism about the future is that sort of hope is so fleeting. I, I know this because most of the time, that's what my hope looks like. Most of the time, my hope is just optimism about the future. It's going to be okay. But when anything goes wrong, when any troubles hit, it's so quick to go away. It's, it just flies out the window and we're left with nothing. I think as this sort of time of sheltering at home, of quarantine, has gone on. I think many of us, this week even, have started to feel a change. Have started to feel a change in our hope. And it's been a change for the worse. Because it just looks like all optimism is gone. It just feels like this is never going to end. I know that feeling. I've had that feeling. And that idea that maybe hope is just optimism cast into the future is something that we all turn to, whether or not we're a Christian. But the reason why, the reason why we start to feel pain, the reason why we start to feel hopeless is because we settle for a watered-down imitation Wish.com version of hope. When our hope is just optimism cast into the future, that is imitation hope. That is, that is wish.com, not real, not the real thing hope. And so we're left searching. Left searching. But this morning, here's what I want to talk to you about. Here's where this is all. The resurrection of Jesus changes the very nature of our hope. The resurrection of Jesus flips everything upside down. Because the resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean we just have optimism about the future. The resurrection of Jesus means that sin, death, brokenness, and loneliness do not have the last word. Our ultimate reality is not defined by death, by our hopelessness. Our ultimate reality is defined by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. This is, this is what Peter wanted to tell the people that he wrote his first letter to. And I want to read that to you. It's, it's 1 Peter. I'm going to read 
verses 3 through 9 of chapter 1. Let's see how he lays out our hope in this. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. For now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning, wherever we find ourselves. The resurrection of Jesus fundamentally changes the nature of our hope. The resurrection of Jesus means that our hope is not just good feelings about the future. The first thing that Peter does to kind of show this to us is shows us how our hope is rooted in a new identity. Peter says that we have been born again to this living hope. Now, for many of us, the phrase born again has lost its meaning. It's lost its meaning for a couple of reasons. One, because somewhere around the 70s, it sort of became the, the way that we described evangelical Christians. It became the way that then, as that sort of passed on, it even became the way that we described kind of Christians who were maybe a little over the top, maybe a little zealous for their faith. And so it's become something that the church, in many ways, has slightly distanced itself from. But we also, we also sort of don't use this phrase a lot because, because it's kind of a strange phrase. I mean, we, we, know, we, we know very well what the words born again mean in a very literal sense. They're not difficult words. But for us to be born again in the way that Peter is talking, is actually something monumental. He's talking about a fundamental change in our identity. He's talking about us having a new family, a new outlook on life, a new way of living. It's a reordering of who we are. Yes, we are all born in the same way to begin with. But those of us who are in Christ have had our minds and hearts so transformed that the only metaphor that Peter can reach for and find is that you have been born again. It is a completely new sort of life. That's what Peter says we have. And the cherry on top of all of that is that it's not our doing. Did you catch what Peter said? 
Peter said that God has caused you to be born again. It's not something we have done, just like our birth, our original birth, was not something that any of us did, right? You did not have much choice in being born. Some of us, I'm not saying that my mother said this, but I'm saying that other people's mothers I've heard have said, I've brought you into this world, I'll take you out of it. Our being born again is not the result of anything we have done. Our staying in the good grace of Jesus is not anything that we have done. New birth and new life and hope cannot be earned. Christian, I'm talking to you. You cannot earn your way into hope. The language that's that's being used here, this born-again language, reminds me of, of all of those classic stories, whether it's whether it's Annie or whether it's uh, moving on up or, or any of these stories where you have an orphan who is adopted by the rich family. This is sort of a story that goes back and is found in just about every culture. The orphan who is adopted by the rich family. And then what happens? The comedy happens because the orphan struggles on how to live life as the child of this new rich family. Church, so many times, that's our story. We are orphans who were born destitute in sin, whose lives were made worse by our choices, who have then been forgiven and given new life as the sons and daughters of God. And yet we still run around trying to earn it. We are trust fund babies who are asking who are asking acceptance, asking power, asking wealth to make us happy. We're asking control and security to give us hope. They never do. It never quite works out. They always come up just empty enough. And so we cope. Maybe we cope by just being absolutely optimistic that everything's going to be okay in the future, or we cope by assuming that everything's going to be bad wherever you find yourself. All of these are ways that we are trusting in ourselves to make hope work, trusting in ourselves to make our new identity work, that we can be good enough. But Jesus has already taken care of that. Jesus has already done that for us. And now he freely gives us the hope that comes along with a new identity in him. Now I know, I know if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, this seems over the top. I get it. We're in a time where we as a culture are struggling with hope. And here we go, open the Bible, and it talks about the resurrection of Jesus being our source of hope. I mean, it's just all a little too convenient. Don't you think, Pastor? I get that. I get that. But I think if you're not a Christian, here's the question I want to ask you. How much more rope do you have to hold on to? Because it just, it's just a lot, isn't it right now? 
in every business is either closed or operating weirdly. Whether it's, whether it's bandit coffees, contactless, pay before you come, sit it out on a table for you thing. Whether it's Publix having all sorts of new employees, all of them in masks with a glass window between you and them and tape set up everywhere on the floor, whatever it is. Whether it's you staring at your same four walls of your house or wondering if you're ever going to be able to send your kids to school again, how much more rope do you have? Because eventually that runs out and we get to the point of I know, because left to myself, that's where I go to. But what the resurrection of Jesus says is that our hope is not founded in something that can go away. Our hope is in Jesus, who is risen from the dead. He is undefiled. He is imperishable. He's never dying, never going away, never able to be corrupted. It's not going to spoil like milk, and moths can't eat it. Our hope is based on the very fact that Jesus rose from the dead in his body. And that means, that means, church, That sin and death are not our ultimate reality. That Jesus' resurrection changes that. Jesus' resurrection changes everything we believe about what is real. Because everything we believe about what is real says dead people don't come back to life. Jesus says, in the world that is to come, that has begun now in my resurrection, yes. You see, hopelessness is fundamentally believing that nothing will change. The hope of Jesus in his resurrection is that things can and did change. Resurrection says that that change has already started. So this is not just a hope about the future. Our hope is not just optimism cast into the future with a little bit of Jesus' blessing on it. It's not baptized optimism. Our hope is that because Jesus actually rose from the dead, this world is changing. He's beginning to undo all that is wrong. It's about right now. So we can look at our struggles and reassess them based on what Jesus has done and said. The letter that Peter is writing, Peter is writing to a church that is being persecuted. We are not being persecuted right now. However, it is a difficult time, a time of trial. And Peter says that you can, because of the resurrection, because of the hope that the resurrection gives us, you can rejoice in the face of trial. That is a thick That is a hope that is founded on something meaningful. Because what that means is that we can't rely on ourselves. And we can't rely on our ability to charm others. We can't rely on how well we're able to plan for the future. Trials, like what we're going through right now, all the anxiety that we are feeling, 
all of the loneliness, all of the exhaustion, the grief, all of that means we can't rely on our ability to secure things. We can't rely on our ability to find affirmation in a time like this. All of this means that if we're going to truly hope and have a hope that is meaningful and life-changing, it has to be based on trusting Jesus. We can't take care of this on our own. We can't fix the world. We can't fix our hearts. But the death and resurrection of Jesus says that he is going to do that. That his death is what brings us peace. That's, that's a word that has been gathering steam as you go through the Bible. That word through the Old Testament is shalom. Everything in its right place. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of God's shalom for all the earth. Think about that for us right now. That means that, that the coronavirus, that COVID-19, is not the last one. The last word is the peace of Jesus risen from the dead. That means that there is now available peace between God and us because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our sin doesn't have the last word. And that means that there is peace in our hearts because we know, we trust, we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. When that peace settles in, it overflows into hope, a settledness. So I know, I know that hope isn't just simply optimism. I know you know that. Our hope is more than that. It's more than just wishful thinking because it's grounded in the reality of Jesus bodily rising from the grave. That same resurrection gives us hope because it says that God is at work. He's alive and at work in our lives. So that we can have joy as the new sons and daughters of God. Adopted. Waiting for his salvation to fully come. Sin. Death. Hopelessness. Loneliness. Arguments. Habits, none of those have the last word. Resurrection is the last word. So Christians, chin up. Take hope. Christ is risen. Yes, we are frustrated. We are nervous. We're anxious. We're grieving. Yes, we are all of those things. But Jesus has crashed through the gates of hell to bring the future into our lives. Chin up. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given us a living hope that is him. He has given us the chance to be shaped by the world that is to come. Chin up, church. Christ is risen. Let's pray.